So if you have a Bible there, flick it open to Galatians chapter 5. I'm not going to read from there, but that's just... No, I am actually. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. I'm going to pick that up in just a moment. So what I want to talk into is freedom, powerlessness, and choices. Freedom, powerlessness, choices. There's a couple of oxymorons in there. Hang with me. It will all make sense in just a moment. So over the past year, there's probably three key themes that we have been really brewing around in as a family. One is taking ground, and we're we're continuing brewing in that theme. Um, And we've looked at taking ground on the inside. We've looked at taking ground in spirit together. Um, The whole idea is God wants to take ground in us so he can take ground through us. Um, We spent a lot of the first part of last year when we first moved into this place talking about apostolic kingdom family. If you were around then, and most of you were were around then, um, you would have heard those three words coming out of my mouth an awful lot because it's pretty much all I could think about. Um, And the context of that is we were moving facilities and most of the time when you're moving facilities, you kind of start looking for, okay, where is a place that we can do church? And what is church going to look like? And that just wasn't in my head. The only thing that was rattling around in my spirit is how do we do apostolic kingdom family? And I kind of unpacked what I meant by those three words and why all those three. And it's all still on podcasts from a year back and on our website. If you want to go hunting, you can find it. Um, And that is still a massive deal. Apostolic meaning heaven invading earth. Kingdom meaning not just church, but every sphere of society and family. We're not just doing events. We're actually building deep, deep heart connection with each other and doing life, doing family together. And in that context, the third thing we talked about was growing up and particularly maturing in love. And one of the verses I read from late last year, uh, no, this time last year actually, was Ephesians chapter 4. And I want to kind of start there to set a context, but then I'm going to Galatians 5. So Ephesians chapter 4, Paul, um, this is, if you're familiar with the book of Ephesians, this is where Paul introduces the the fivefold gifting of apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. And he says, I'm going to pick up from verse 12 of Ephesians 4. It says, to equip his people, and this is the, the purpose of the apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, is to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Take note of the word mature. Then we will no longer be infants, same concept, What's the definition of infants? Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature, and there it is again, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament and it grows and builds itself up as each part of it grows itself and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. In other words, God put leadership in the body of Christ so that as they function and we receive that function, we all grow up. that's, That's the simple idea is that we are meant to grow up. We are meant to mature. Now, that doesn't mean become boring. Can we be clear about that? Maturity and boring, not the same thing. 
Not sure all of the church has really grasped that concept yet, but we, here I think we're grasping that idea. Mature does not equal boring. Um, mature is actually fun because our love is mature, and when our love is mature, we are way less offendable. And getting offended is no fun. Being around people who are offended is no fun. But as we mature in love, sorry if I've offended you already. <laughs> as we mature in love, a whole lot of good stuff happened, and particularly late last year when Amy was here, Amy talked into that whole thing around as we mature in love, these are some of the things that will happen. So it's in this context of us growing up, of us maturing, of us coming into the fullness of Christ, which is what Paul talks about in Ephesians 4. That is what we're here to do in family together. Is that okay? Does that make a set of context? So keep that as kind of the big picture. Now I want to jump into Galatians chapter 5 and then you go, what's this got to do with that? And it just does, because the same guy wrote it. More than that. <laughs> so Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, and I'm going to read a grand total of one verse. Because after that, it goes into this whole stuff about circumcision and that could just get really uncomfortable. So, um, <laughs> so I'm going to like chop it off early and just finish at the end of verse 1. Why did I go there? Anyway, <laughs> why not? Okay, yeah, fair call. See, mature doesn't equal boring, right? That may have been a tad immature, but Galatians 5 verse 1. <laughs> it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. So it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Now, what is Paul talking about there? The context of the book of Galatians, it's, one of, it's one, to me one of the cornerstone books of the New Testament because what was happening in the Galatian church, they'd come into freedom, they'd come into the power of the Holy Spirit. They were experiencing miracles, breakthrough, all sorts of amazing stuff. And then these people came in and started to infiltrate the Galatian church with some of this teaching that said, yeah, but to really please God. Some of the stuff in the Old Testament, some of those festivals and, and rituals and things, you still need to do that stuff. Is essentially the context of what he's saying. And Paul is pretty much saying that the purpose of the Old Testament was like a tutor or a babysitter or a nanny that looks after us until we are introduced to Christ, which is the main deal, and are introduced to this thing called freedom. Freedom was always the main deal. So the Galatian church, like I said, experienced phenomenal freedom. They experienced miracles, the whole deal. And now they're starting to introduce these principles, customs, festivals from the Old Testament, thinking that to do that would be spiritual. Now, why am I talking about that And when I said I was going to talk about freedom, powerlessness, choices? Well, freedom is obvious a little, but... What do we mean by freedom? So in Paul's context, he was saying freedom is what we have in the new covenant. Law, which was the old covenant, is slavery because he says, do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Slavery was coming under an old covenant system. And in the old covenant system, you didn't have choices. It was do it or you're dead. That was your choice, basically which isn't much of a choice when you really break that down, when it's like, do it or you die. It's like, is that really a choice? Don't think so. I mean, you can, anyway. 
<laughs> said to Deb earlier, this is either going to be really good or really bad because I don't have a lot of filters today. <laughs> and I've so far avoided really going deep on the circumcision jokes, but I can't guarantee that will continue. So I will try. Pray for me. Pray for a binding of that. Just cut me off if I do it again. All right, maybe I should go back to the script. So, here's the deal. Paul's saying it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. In other words, we are created in Christ to be free people. What is the definition of free people? Free people have options. Free people have choices. Slaves don't have choices. So when he says, don't let yourself be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. In other words, don't let yourself come under a system again where you believe the lie that you have no choices. And it's that theme that I want to kind of drill into a little bit more in the context of what we've been talking about over the last few weeks. So free people have lots of options. In the new covenant, believe it or not, we have... Like absolute freedom, absolute options. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, everything is permissible. That's a pretty big deal. It's like, wow. But then he says, but not everything's beneficial. So to put it in Tim language, you can, you can do whatever you want, but be careful what you want. You can do whatever you want, so be careful what you want. Because you might get what you want, but you might not want what you get if you don't choose well. And to me, maturity, one of the, one of the definitions of maturity is I have lots and lots of options. So when you're a little kid, not as many options. A, you don't have the cognitive ability to think through a whole spectrum of ideas. But you also have parents that are put in your life to protect you from the choices that you don't have the cognitive ability to make. Like, I think I might go bolting out onto the road to, catch, to get that ball without even looking at what may be doing. See, that's, that's not a freedom we give to a two-year-old because they can't handle that level of freedom. Mature people have lots of options because... They know how to handle the options. They know how to manage their freedom in such a way that life flows from choices instead of other things. With me so far? Instead of disaster. Absolutely. Absolutely. So in a sense, maturity could be defined as the number of options that I have and my ability to manage those options and that freedom well. Now, here's where I want to drill in a little bit more. And that is... We put ourselves in a position of slavery, as in no options, when we believe, or let me say it better, whenever we don't realize that we have the authority or the ability to make choices in a given situation. Okay, let me play with that, uh, that a little bit more. So we come under this thing called slavery when we do not, either don't believe or don't realise that we actually have the authority to make choices in a given situation. And what happens is we develop language of powerlessness. 
language that gives the indication that says, I didn't have a choice about that. I don't have an option. So, and, and this is pretty insidious because I, I started, late last year, I started to get this real thing in my spirit. And a few of our intercessors were picking up something similar. I know, Lisa, you picked this up a couple of weeks back and just kind of went bam with it. Um, of God is really going after powerlessness in us. And, and often it's learned powerlessness. Because of life circumstances, because of you know, even family of origin, what was considered normal, um, and sometimes because of lack of discipleship or parenting, you know, spiritual parenting in certain areas of our life, we develop language that, that is quite insidious. Um, like whenever we say, oh, I had to something, that word had to is not a language of options. The reality is I chose to. Now, I'm, I'm not going to get uber finicky about language, but I am a little. Only because one of my goals at the end of this is that we will walk away with both a heightened awareness and a desire to walk out of here, increasing our awareness of where powerless language comes out of our mouth. And if it's coming out of our mouth, it's in our thinking. Because wherever we feel powerless, we're under the influence of a lie. And wherever we're under the influence of a lie, one of those strongholds that we talked about two weeks ago has the perfect basis on which to build a nice big castle that wars against the nature of the kingdom and the nature of Christ in us. So whenever we say things like, like, <laughs> I had no other choice but to let them have it. If they're going to behave like that, what other choice do you have? Anyone ever said that? Any parents ever said that about? <laughs> have you ever said, yeah, what choice do I have? Actually, a lot. Actually, a lot. When I say I have to, now here's a bit of an insidious one as well, especially for, particularly for Christians. And, and this, is, this one goes a bit both ways. So I'm going to put it out there, offend a whole lot of people, and then clean it up a little. God hasn't opened that door yet. So you all went real quiet. <laughs> now, let, let, let me clean up a little and then let me probably re-offend a little. But we're maturing in love, so we're not getting offended. There is such a thing as times and seasons. Okay, there is an appointed and proper time. Galatians 6. You know, uh, what does it say? <laughs> Oh, actually, it is on the page right in front of me, right there, because I was in Galatians 5, and Galatians 6 is on the same page. Do you want to swap? You're doing way better than me. You wanna... I warned you this was going to be interesting. 6.9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. That word proper time is the Greek word kairos. It means um, an opportune time or a God-ordained moment. So there is this thing in life when there's stuff that we are going after, when there is stuff that we are believing God for, it hasn't happened yet because it's not the appointed time yet. It's not the right season yet. That is absolutely true. So don't hear me say that that's not because I just said that it is. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> that said, I think in the church, we, and I can include myself in the we here. This is the royal we. This is us. 
we can fall into the trap of saying things like God hasn't opened that door yet when actually the situation we're in is the direct result of choices that we have made where we've believed that I don't have a choice there, I'm powerless there. Or it could be our lack of ability to discipline or focus ourselves in a particular area. It could be because of familial lies that we have grown up and believed our whole life. And we just keep walking them out, out of ignorance. And at some point in here, I'm going to say, this is why family, in terms of our kingdom family, is so important. Because when we can't see stuff, we have people around them that go, sorry, what are you believing right there? That's got a bit of a scent to it that's not real good. Like, like are you sure that you want to take that on as a truth? So, God hasn't provided that for me yet. Maybe he hasn't. Maybe there are things that I was meant to do to actually pursue some of those things. Um, one of the things I think, when, when we are not bearing the fruit that we want to bear or not seeing the things that we are wanting to see happen, it's important to both ask God, God, how do you feel about this thing? Now, why, why do I say that? Sometimes when we're feeling grieved about stuff and we go to God and say, God, how are you feeling about it? The answer is, I'm actually grieving with you about that. You know, when Paul said, weep with those who are weeping, where do you reckon he got that from? Exactly. This, is, this, this was his experience of the father with him, was that when he was grieving, when he was weeping, the father was there weeping with him. That was his experience of God. And so he tells us in Kingdom Community, be like that. You know, God, how do you feel about that? And sometimes he's like, I am so unstressed about that. Like, I have so got this. And quite often when I'm freaking out or, you know, getting into, like I'm getting ready to go into warfare zone, I'm like, right, this hasn't happened yet. We're just going to call this thing in and I'm going to do warfare and do battle. I'm going to stomp and shout and all those really good Pentecostal things that I love to do. I don't know about you. Because I find that stuff fun. I like it, you know. I I like a good battle. I'm born for for a fight, you know, Um, in the spirit, not in the natural. Um, Because I'm a total wuss in the natural when it comes to that. But anyway. Um, But... I have a feeling that's going to be used against me. But, um, but then I go, okay, God, how are you feeling about this? And he's like chilling back with his milkshake going, I'm really cool about it. And when he's like that, and I'm like ready to pull out my sword and, you know, weaponry, I'm actually out of sync with where God's at. Sometimes when I say, God, how do you feel about it? He's like, what's the words? Because I don't, I don't, if I was going to say, like, I'm disappointed too, not disappointed as in disappointed in you, because he doesn't do that. But like, I'm bummed that this hasn't happened for you as well. It's a, of course, a joke comes into my head right about now where, um, this guy, he's drowning at sea and, and he's calling out, God, will you help me? And this boat comes along and says, I'm here to save you. And he says, no, 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 God's going to save me. So off goes the boat. And then this helicopter comes in and says, I'm here to save you. And he goes, don't worry, God's going to save me. And so the story goes on. Anyway, the guy ends up drowning, goes to heaven. And it's like, God, where the heck were you? And he goes, well, I don't know what you're doing here. I sent you a boat. I sent you a helicopter. 
Clearly that wasn't as funny as I thought it was. All right, you've heard it 10 times. But you, you get the idea, yeah? Okay. I can, I can still get a good point out of this, yes. Any suggestions as to what that might be? <laughs> Let's go back to circumcision. Yeah, we were doing well on that one. All right. So what about this one? And again, I'm talking about powerless beliefs. What other conclusion could I come to other than God wasn't there or God didn't provide or God didn't do X, Y, and Z? This is, a, this is a tough one because often that one is attached to some really painful experiences. And from a pure, rational, logical mind separate from the Spirit of God, it is completely understandable why someone would come to that conclusion. Well, obviously God wasn't there because if he was there, this happened. This wouldn't have happened. Yet I've learned that there are so many other options than the conclusion, well, God wasn't there. In prayer ministry, I've sat with many people and gone through and taken them through and let, let, let's ask God to take us back there and, and then got them to ask, okay, God, where were you when this was happening? And I've never yet had a situation where they haven't got incredible breakthrough understanding where God actually was because quite often they saw what could have been and they see Jesus holding stuff back. They see Jesus there holding and taking on so much of their pain. There are so many pictures that will just absolutely wreck your heart with love when you actually see what he is doing in the middle of it. I remember, um, you know, I've said this a few times before, um, when I was going through a really difficult period in my life a number of years back, and it would be so easy to go... God, what are you doing? Like, where are you? I just feel crap. Like, this is, there's just no other way to, no other really good biblical word to describe it, although I can find that um, in Scripture as well. But, um, and I actually stopped at one point and went, okay, God, what are you doing in the midst of this? And the answer, as clear as crystal, came back to me, I'm warring against your pain. Now, if I didn't stop to ask that question, it would have been so easy for me to just go, God, you're not here because all I can feel is pain. But I stopped and asked because I couldn't see. Because of my pain, I couldn't see what he was doing. But because I stopped and asked, he said, I'm actually warring again. He was doing things that I had no idea of. So there's lots of other options. Another option especially when it comes to difficult stuff or, or traumatic stuff. So I remember yeah, around the time where I lost my dad back in 2011, we'd seen lots of people healed of cancer. And this wasn't a battle that we won in, in the long term. And it would have been so easy for me to go, well, God, because well, my dad actually did experience a measure of healing. He actually ended up with about a year longer of life than he should have had based on his diagnosis. And it would have been really easy to say, well, God, you didn't heal him. God, you weren't there. But one of the things I've learned is that I am not going to sacrifice what I know to be true of God on the altar of what I do not understand. 
And in that situation, one of the other things that could be true is I haven't come to an understanding of how the kingdom works enough yet to break through that particular thing. And what it does, instead of making me bitter and twisted, is it makes me more determined for vengeance so that I can understand that thing, unlock it and see it healed. See, our setbacks are actually meant to fuel our next victories. That's part of the way that the kingdom works. Sometimes another option is that we're not bearing the fruit that we want in a particular area of our life, but that area of our life is under the influence of inferior thinking that's more to do with how the world thinks than how God thinks. And we just haven't learned the ways of the kingdom in that area yet. So all I'm trying to do here for a moment is just expand our data set of what is possible. Is this making sense? Yeah? Okay. Sometimes we're stuck in pain because we blame God for the outcome of our own choices. Now, that sounds like a tough call. So please take that call in the context of I've spent the vast majority of my adult life helping people get healed from trauma, um, from really deep stuff. So I, I care absolutely, passionately, deeply about that stuff. And so don't hear me judging anyone for that because my whole life has been about um, the exact opposite of that. But sometimes we make choices, especially when we judge God as either unwilling or unable to act in certain situations. We leave that as a belief. It's filled with hurt and pain. Like that that belief is empowered by hurt and pain. And as a result, we bear fruit in a whole lot of areas of our life as a result of that belief system. And then we blame God for the fruit when actually our own choices did that. And one of the beautiful things that happens in prayer ministry is Jesus makes us aware of the choices that we've made and the things, the, the lies that we have adopted, and he starts to help us undo them. We're, we're making sense? So when I'm talking choices, just to be clear, I'm not talking about the kind of the churchy, religious, moralistic behavior choices. I'm talking about choices around patterns of thinking, of how to interpret certain events. Um, So, for example, if I've had a really abusive past, it is really logical to either judge all men or all women or all authority figures as unsafe. Like, it's a really logical belief system. And when you do it, especially as a young person, it actually helps you survive. It actually serves a purpose that helps you survive for a period of time. But when that belief is carried into adulthood, it ends up undermining all of your relationships. Um, it, It ends up pretty much undermining everything that's good in your world because of that. And while it might have been true that that one, two, three, four, five, or however many people were unsafe, there's an awful lot of people in the world. And when we take an an individual situation, globalise it, and then make a, a, a judgment and a vow attached to that judgment that these kinds of people are unsafe, we end up bearing fruit around that. And then living feeling rejected because we can't let people into our world. Now, that's not something God did. That's something we did. Now, God's not sitting back there going, well, I didn't do that. You did that. No, he's saying, come here. Let's shine the light on that stuff. Because if you're bearing fruit somewhere, we've talked about this a fair bit lately. If you're bearing fruit somewhere, there's a root to that fruit. There's a reason. Fruit doesn't just grow in isolation, it's attached to something. So the love of God comes in 
shines the light on the root, on the lies, the belief systems where we've believed, well, this is the only possible belief I could adopt as a result of that situation. He shines the light on it. He broadens our perspective. He enables us to forgive. And then he shows us the options that we do have. In other words, he helps us become a powerful person again. Because when we're stuck in this belief system, we're we're a slave to that thing. We can't get out of it. So one of the reasons it's so critical that we're in family, and this is what I was alluding to earlier, it's so critical that we are in family and doing life together and having a a level of, of vulnerability and intimacy with one another around our lives is because we can't see what we can't see from this side of our eyeballs. And when something is so familiar to me, when this has been a pattern of thinking my whole life, to me, it's normal. To me, it's just the way it is. And sometimes it takes someone else that doesn't have that same pattern and that same history to look me in the eye and go, hey, dude, how's that working out for you? To which I go, yeah, not great. Have you ever thought that there might be some other choices? Clearly not until now. (laughs) Okay, let's shine the light on that and let's have a look. Now, I think we've all been in the room alive long enough to know that sometimes things happen that you don't choose. Yeah? (laughs) Wouldn't that be fair? Anyone in this room had stuff happen that they wouldn't choose if they were in charge? Anyone? My hand's up. I'm with you. I'm so there I can hardly tell you. Okay. So I can't choose always what happens to me. Okay, so I'm not doing this, you know, big word of faith, you know, you just choose and everything will be amazing kind of thing. I'm I'm not doing that. What I am trying to get us in touch with is what we can choose. So I can't choose what happened to me. I wouldn't have choose to lose my dad back in 2011. But I could choose my response to that. I could choose what belief systems that I adopted around that. And the belief systems I adopt around that will either increase my trauma. There's plenty of trauma there, don't worry. But it'll either increase my trauma or will actually put a wall around it and only let it go so far and will bring me into a place of healing. I can't choose what happens to me all the time, but I can choose my response. I can choose what I'll do next. I can choose how much negative events control my emotional well-being. Had a really good example of this today, actually. (laughs) Had a really good opportunity around this. And yes, I'm a tad filterless and over-talking about circumcision. But um, I will get through that and come out the other side and you're all a very forgiving and loving bunch. Yeah, thanks. We didn't choose that. We didn't choose the water filter to go poof and, you know, fill our house full of beautiful streams. Well, at least it was, well, I don't know if the water actually had gone through the filter. It kind of sat down and came out. I don't know, maybe. I mean... But hey, we'll see. But I can choose to go, you know what? I'm still going to have a good afternoon this afternoon. I'm still going to choose to worship, even though there's a part of me that would like to jump on my electric skateboard and go for a really long skate and just kind of pretend that didn't happen. The electric skateboard's so fun, by the way. So cool. Anyway, um, and I can choose to go, you know what? Whenever there's an annoying situation, there's an upgrade coming. So where do I get that from? So he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Psalm 23. I think, Adrian, you were speaking that over, me, over us earlier. 
He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. So if my enemies are showing up and doing their worst, I can either look at the enemies and go, wow, this really sucks, or I can look for the table. I have options. Yeah? Um, 1 Corinthians 10. Paul says it again. No temptation has seized you except that which is common to man and God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide you a way out so that you can stand up under it. Again, you have options. Crappy situation. I can choose my mindset about that. I'm tempted in whatever area. Name the area. You know, n- n- name your... No, I was going to say favourite. It's not really favourite. <sighs> Name your area of temptation. Again, God always says you have options because he will put them there. He says when you're tempted, he he won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He will put limits around that so that you have options. Because if it's beyond what you can bear, you don't have options because you can't bear it. It's like, boom, it flattens you. But he'll only let it go so far so that you always have options and he'll provide a way out. That's pretty cool. Options. Deuteronomy chapter 30. Actually, let me just jump there quickly, and I'm about to land this puppy. Don't know how you land a puppy, but it's a big puppy. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 and 20. So this is Moses talking to the people of Israel, and he's just spent chapters laying out, here are the blessings for serving God. You know, you'll be blessed in the city. You'll be blessed in the country. You'll be blessed in your going out. You'll be blessed in your coming in. You know, all the nations of the earth will go. Like, it is just re- like you read Deuteronomy 28, and the first part of it. Like, it is really, really good. Seriously, it's really good. And that's the old covenant. And we're in a new covenant with better promises. Anyway, I'll get sidetracked on that because I really love that. Um, and then he says, but if you choose the other way, here's all the curses that will come upon you. And I don't believe that that is God standing up there going, oh, you did that? Let me curse you. Because he's a good dad. If you choose to remove yourself from the protection of God, you get the reward of that. And it's not that he does it. It's just that all the protection that he had around you, he goes, well, if you don't want it, that's okay. You have free choice. I'll let you have what you want. But he paints a picture of what that's going to look like when God removes his hand from something. And then Moses says, this day I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord God, that you may listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land that he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. In other words, I've set all this stuff out before you, but you have to choose. In other words, God is not dictating your path. He's giving you options. And because he wants you to be a mature person, he gives you choices. The biggest biggest foundation of our choices is think of the Garden of Eden. Okay, there was two trees. There was the tree of life. There was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Which one of those was a bad choice? Tree of knowledge of good and evil. Who put the tree there? (laughs) Good reaction though. Appreciate it. So God created the presence of a bad choice. Why would he do that? Because if he didn't, we'd all be running around naked and having a great time. Filters, dang. (laughs) 
because the fall wouldn't have happened. That's, that was the idea. Okay. Maybe it's a blessing that we're not. Anyway, um, moving right along. Who's the, can I hear an amen? Yeah, yeah. Why would God place the presence of a bad choice? Because he is determined that we always have to have a choice. Because one of the primary natures of the kingdom is it's a kingdom of freedom. Which means you get to choose your path. So it's for freedom that Christ set you free. Maturing in freedom means I am increasingly aware of the choices I have in every situation. I get to choose my beliefs. I get to choose my vows and my judgments. I get to choose my, my convictions that I base my life on. And, you know, if I hadn't, around when I lost my dad, if I hadn't have built a solid conviction in my life that the goodness of God is my number one foundation, and I will not shift from that foundation, then I, I could have been tossed anywhere. Because the recipe for disappointment, if you don't have that as a core foundation, is so ridiculously huge, especially when something hits so close to home. But when you have your rock-solid foundations, you interpret your life events in the light of those core convictions. You don't let your life events challenge those core convictions. That one was worth the price of entry right there. Okay, If you grab nothing else, grab that. When you build, and, and the time that you build those solid convictions into your life can't be when things are bad. Because you need them when things are bad, but you have to build them when the pressure is not on through, through actually pressing into God and getting a revelation of that stuff when you don't need it, so to speak. I mean, I think we all need it. But you know what I mean? When you don't need it desperately to hang on to. So that when those situations come, you've got something to hang on to. And then you interpret your life events in the light of those. So maturing in freedom means us becoming increasingly aware of the options that we have at every moment. And in a moment, I'm going to pray for us. And one of the things I'm going to pray is that the Holy Spirit would prompt us every time powerless language starts coming out of our mouth. Now, the trick is I don't go, oh, I shouldn't have said that. This is important. Romans 10, 9 and 10, it's with our heart that we believe, it's with our mouth that we confess. Our mouth is not our believer, our heart is. Our mouth just confesses what my heart believes. So if out of my mouth comes a powerless belief, it's not, oh, don't say that. It's, why does my heart believe that? Where did my heart learn that? And when I unpack that, I can then invite the father of lights, to shine his light on that place and say, expose the lie, bring the truth. Now, just to add just a tad more to your options, and this is part of me landing, by the way, in case you think I'm starting a new point, this is part of me landing. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. If that doesn't increase your options, I don't know what does. And our journey is about learning how to release and steward that power. Yeah, and it, like if you needed another core belief, that's, that, there's another one that's worth having. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is in me. 
Romans 8 says that you are, it says in English, you are more than a conqueror, but the word literally means you are a super conqueror. Not just a conqueror, you're a super conqueror. That increases your options. If I'm a super conqueror with the power that raised Jesus from the dead living in me, I reckon that increases my options a whole lot. So why don't we stand? I'm going to pray for us. What I don't want from today is anyone walking out of the room today going, oh, well, my situation's my fault. But let me say, even if you did walk out with that belief, to me, that's actually really empowering because if it's your fault, you can do something about it. If it's someone else's fault, it's not in your control. Wow, that went down well. Okay. What I want you to be in touch with is in every situation, you always have choices. And part of us growing up together is becoming more and more aware, I choose what I believe. I choose how I respond. Nobody else controls me. No one else gets to do that. I manage me. I trust you to manage you. And in love, we look each other in the eye and go, wow, how's that one working out for you? What other options have you got there? And when we are that kind of community with each other, we start making really, really powerful, amazing choices together that bring us into healing, that bring us into life, and we'll take ground in here, we'll take ground out there, and everywhere we go. So, Jesus, thank you that the same power that rose you from the dead lives in us. And why don't you just pop your hands out for a second and just, just start to activate that. Father, I, I call to the deep of each of our spirits where the revelation of your goodness sits. And I call that to the surface where for some that has been buried under pain and trauma, that deposit of your goodness is in every person because we are all marked and sealed with the Holy Spirit. And so I call that to the surface for every person that is feeling discouraged right now, that every, for every person who is feeling disappointed right now, I call that revelation of the goodness of God to the surface, that you may feel his goodness, that you may sense, that you may expect his goodness. Even when annoying, frustrating stuff's happened, when the enemy is attacking, you're going, there's a table here somewhere, baby, and I'm going to find it. <laughs> there's an upgrade in this situation for you. And at absolute worst, there's healing for the trauma that you're in. Because if it mattered to you, it matters to him. And as we looked at last week, he wants to bring oil of gladness instead of a spirit of despair. He wants to bring beauty for ashes. So Father, I just ask, raise our awareness of our choices. We give you permission to expose powerlessness in all of its forms where we're believing powerless stuff, we're believing lies and we're miserable. We give you permission to shine the light on that stuff and bring us into the full authority that we have as children of God. To choose our emotional state, to choose our beliefs, to choose what we will go after, 
because you made us powerful, free people because it's for freedom that you set us free. We bless you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.